Hello and welcome to the Pilgrim Way. My name is Norman Graham and I'm a minister in the Baptist Union of Churches in Scotland. The aim of the signposts is to try and connect the text of the Bible with our everyday lives. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verses 7 to 18 reading from the New Living Translation. The old way with laws etched in stone led to death though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face. For his face shone with the glory of God, even though the brightness was already fading away. Shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way, now that the Holy Spirit is giving life? If the old way, which brings condemnation, was glorious, how much more glorious is the new way, which makes us right with God? In fact, that first glory was not glorious at all compared with the overwhelming glory of the new way. So if the old way which has been replaced was glorious, how much more glorious is the new which remains forever? Since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. We are not like Moses who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel would not see the glory even though it was destined to fade away. But the people's minds were hardened, and to this day, whenever the Old Covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds so that they cannot understand the truth. And this veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. Yes, even today, when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil, and they do not understand. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changing into his glorious image. Well, it can be argued that Western art has been shaped more by Christianity than by any other single factor. The artists who are hailed as the masters have drawn deeply from the well of the Christian story. Uh, some like Rembrandt and Michelangelo uh, stand out. Uh, many artists drew from that well because their skill brought them to the attention of the church, which led to commissions. Others drew from this well because of personal faith and life experience, and some uh, were changed by the art that they produced. The work of artists from the past still resonates with us today and their art is still helping to reshape people's lives. As Cliff Edwards has written, uh, in our quest to live creatively, we seek wisdom from those who are most creative. In our effort to understand the age in which we live, we seek guidance from the discoverers of the spirit in their own age. In our struggle to make some contribution to our society, we examine the enduring gifts left by predecessors who provided us with insight and inspiration. In his book, The Dynamics of Faith, theologian Paul Tillich wrote, all arts create symbols for a level of reality which cannot be reached in any other way. In the creative work of art, we encounter reality in a dimension which is closed for us without such words, works. 
Well, Picasso put it uh, in another way, and perhaps more succinctly, when he said that art is a lie which makes you realise the truth. In this signpost, I want to consider an artist and his work and reflect on a few truths that makes us realise. Less than a hundred years after Michelangelo was astounding Rome with works like uh, his sculpture of David and uh, painting masterpieces like the Sistine Chapel, another artist, a sculptor, was also at work in Rome who made Michelangelo look like a beginner in the craft. The sculptor was Bernini, the miracle worker, who brought cold stone to life. Uh, the picture on the screen is not a photograph of someone pressing their fingers into flesh. It's uh, actually a photograph of a detail of a solid marble sculpture by Bernini. He was born in Naples on the 7th of December 1598 and died in 1680 at the age of 81. He was about maybe seven years old when the family arrived in, in Rome. His father, a competent but otherwise unremarkable sculptor, moved to the city to find work. The family arrived at a very opportune moment because at that time the cardinals were competing with one another for grand works of art and engaging in ambitious building programmes. Bernini's father was fortunate enough to get some important commissions. And so, at the age of eight, Bernini was brought before Pope Paul V. And when he was before the Pope, he did a very quick sketch of St. Paul that so astonished the Pope that the Pope thought he might be looking at the next Michelangelo. And so, he gave the young Bernini 12 silver medals and commanded a cardinal to watch over him and see to his education. Bernini spent the next years learning what all sculptors had to learn to do, to study and draw from classical models. There are no shortcuts in life. Even prodigies have to learn the rules. Even prodigies have to practice and develop their skills. Though, as Bernini would later famously say, those who never dare to break the rules never surpass them. Now you kind of get a sense of just uh, how much of a genius he was when you realise that he created the martyrdom of St Lorenzo when he was just 15 years old. It was in fact his very first commission. St Lorenzo was burned alive on a hot griddle. Uh, he's alleged to have told his tormentors to turn him over as that side was done. It is perhaps something of a sick joke then that he's the patron saint of cooks. Uh, Bernini would surpass all his contemporaries and all who'd gone before him to become the greatest sculptor in history. He possessed the ability to depict dramatic narratives with characters showing intense psychological states but also to kind of organise large-scale sculptural works that conveyed a magnificent grandeur such as his masterpiece, The Ecstasy of St Teresa. In that work, he captures the moment of transcendent ecstasy when the divine and the human come together. He also had a unique talent for extending the confines of sculpture to a consideration of a setting in which it would be situated. 
it is said of him that he uh, is to art what Shakespeare is to literature. No wonder then he was given the most important commissions in Rome uh, of his day. He was certainly committed to his art. Simon Shaman notes that in order to capture just the right image for a sculpture called The Damned Soul, it said that he stood in front of a mirror and deliberately burned his arm on an open flame and then quickly sketched his own agonised face to capture, as Shama puts it, the expression of tongue-rolling, screaming horror on the face of the damned soul as he glimpses the burning hell to which he is condemned. The spectacle is literally hair-raising. The damned soul's locks standing on end with horror are modelled as if they were tongues of flame. In an age of illiteracy, when few were educated, it was a powerfully dramatic visual gospel proclamation, a warning to the viewer to get right with God to save their souls while they could, or else they would suffer the torments of damnation, the torments of the damned soul, torments that are writ large in lines of cool marble made more real than flesh under the hands of Bernini. It's no wonder that the cardinals competed for his work. For these were deeply religious times, and in particular the incarnation of God in the flesh of Jesus was of fundamental importance to the Christian message. And as Shama notes, the church was looking for visual ways to make that fleshed gospel immediate to believers. One of the reasons that the church looked the other way in regard to Caravaggio's crimes was simply that in his generation no painter could match him in depicting the reality of the fleshliness of Christ, the humanness of Christ. And in a highly religious age, Bernie seemed spectacularly gifted by God to do just that, not in paint, but in stone. Bernini was called the miracle worker because whilst others were great sculptors and could freeze the human form in marble, he created sculptures that seemed to be alive, not frozen to the pedestal, but writhing in agony or ecstasy, ready to leap out from the pedestal into the real world. His David, bursting with energy, made Michelangelo seem timid and pale by comparison. Other sculptors made stone out of flesh and blood, but Bernini alone made flesh and blood out of stone. Although Bernini admired Michelangelo, his philosophy was the very opposite of the Renaissance master's heroic idealism. For whereas Michelangelo wanted to make people appear godlike, Bernini wanted to make them look as human as possible. The difference is perhaps most clearly seen in a bust of one of Bernini's wealthy patrons, Cardinal Scipione Borghese. Unlike the idealised perfection of Michelangelo's work, Bernini depicts the Cardinal in all his carnal, fleshly humanness, beautifully described by Simon Shammer. He says he's a bull-like head atop a plump upper body, packed so tightly in his chasuble that a, a classic Bernini detail, one of the buttons can't quite make it through the hole. 
by using all the tools in his repertoire, small drills, rasps, broad and fine chisels, Bernini could vary the surface textures of different areas of the head and face, the curled fringe poking from the edge of the cardinal's beretta, the ends of his moustache and the thick locks of his goatee can bear hair that's been lovingly oiled and pampered. The blubbery, turned-out lips, fleshly earlobes, chipmunk cheeks, falling jowls and neck wattle give a sense of a hearty bon viveur, the hungry consumer of rich foods and clever artists. Bernini even made sure that the cardinal's cheeks and nose are polished smooth enough to suggest a film of sweat, the natural effusion of a big man in a hot city. The bust of the cardinal is remarkable for its technical brilliance, especially the catch lights in the eyes, but it was also revolutionary in its form, because looking at it you get a sense of the man, rather than the public persona of dignity and the ecclesiastical authority of a cardinal. Here is a cardinal without filters, without any Adobe Photoshop touch-ups. Here is the cardinal as just a man. Humanness, of course, is what we know best. The reality of our own humanness is evident all around us, not just in the chaos of world events, but especially in the chaos and the brokenness of our own lives. In the trail of hurts and regrets scattered in the story of our own past that never really leaves us. For all the moments of great beauty in our lives, we don't have to look very far to see the ugliness of our humanity. It stares back at us when we look in the mirror. It certainly stared back at Bernini. He was religious but corrupted by the arrogance of an inflated sense of his own importance. Even his mother said he thought he was the master of the universe. And it was perhaps inevitable that he would end up committing many of the very same crimes of passion as had Caravaggio before him. An affair with a married woman, a violent assault that was very nearly murder on his younger brother, the rival for his lover's affections. The mutilation of their shared lover in a jealous rage, he had his servant uh, slash her face to ribbons. Of course Bernini got off scot-free, but his brother was exiled and everyone else went to prison, even his lover sentenced to prison for adultery. An echo of the injustice against the woman brought before Jesus in John 8, just another victim of male power. It was a man's world. And it helped if the man was the best friend of the Pope. Like many saints before and since, it turns out that Bernini wasn't much of a saint after all. We try to hide it the best we can, we put on a good face in public, but our sinful humanness always surfaces in the end. The great and the good, the rich and the powerful wanted portraits and sculptures that flattered, that eased out the imperfections. A smaller nose, just the one chin please. Bernini never shied away from the reality of our humanness, our greed, our lust, our passions, our violence, our ugliness. And he turned all of that into something beautiful.
is a feature on the bust of the cardinal that many people don't notice. It has a crack right across his forehead and through his hair. Bernini had worked on it for months and just as he was finishing it off, a tap of the hammer on the chisel found a fault that had been there for millennia when the forces of heat and pressures that transformed the primordial limestone into marble. Particle shifts had made an interior instability that could never have been guessed at or prevented. It was every sculptor's nightmare. I'm sure he probably tried to come up with some ingenious ways of hiding the flaw, but not even Bernini the miracle worker could fix it. And he had to make another copy, which he did working night and day for 15 days. But the copy really lacks something of the honesty of the cracked original. It lacks its authentic humanness. You may have had a letter that says, you're sincerely and at the signature, or maybe you've signed one that way yourself. The word sincere comes from a Latin term from the world of sculpture. It literally means without wax. If a sculptor made a mistake or found a flaw in the marble, they'd often fill it in or fix it with wax that could be shaded and polished to match the marble. No one would know. To say that a statue was sincere was to say that it was true and that the flaws had not been covered up and hidden without wax. That's really what sincere means, without wax. In the quietness of our own thoughts, we know that we are not as true as we should be, as we present ourselves to others. We're not as true as we ought to be, as followers of Jesus, as husbands, wives, parents, children, friends. We are flawed and though we do our best to cover up those flaws, they are there. In biblical terms, we don't properly reflect the image of our creator. As we get older, we become more adept at waxing over the cracks in our lives, but we can never really get rid of them. Whenever we look in a mirror, an honest mirror, they stare back at us. No matter how much wax we might apply, the truth is we are not as we should be. But there is hope. As the late, great Leonard Cohen once wrote, there is a crack, a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. And the light got in for Bernini. After the scandal involving his brother and his lover in an attempt to curb his philandering, the Pope forced him to marry. Although, to be fair, although he was forced to marry, apparently she was the most beautiful woman in Rome. But it seems that something happened to Bernini. In the years that followed, his arrogance and pride led to a spectacular fall from grace, and he learned the virtue of humility the hard way. Forced into humility, he suddenly saw himself for what he really was. He saw the cracks, and I think he encountered God in that self-knowledge. He finally understood that actually he was not the master of the universe after all, and only the one who was could help him. He settled down. He remained faithful to his wife with whom he had 11 children, and he lived a quiet and devout life 
Every morning he could be found praying in the church of Santa Maria di Levatoria. Bernini became, in the words of art historian Simon Schama, a model Christian. And when I think of Bernini, I can't help but think of 2 Corinthians 3 and 18, and it gives me hope. We all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. For me, the real genius of sculpture is the artist's ability to look at a solid block of marble and see within it the figure waiting to emerge. We're flawed. Sometimes the flaws are obvious like rough edges on a block of marble, at other times they are deep within, hidden from sight until the right circumstances, like a hammer tapping on a sculpture's chisel, exposes them to the world, exposes them to us. For all our striving, we are often not as saintly as we claim to be. But like the artist who looks at a plain, solid block of marble and sees the beauty waiting to emerge from it, God looks at us and he sees what we most often cannot. He sees the image of our creator and the person that he made us to be. And so, as we surrender our lives to the kingship of Christ, God, the master craftsman, chisels away at our lives, reshaping, transforming us day by day from the broken images we are into the image and likeness of his son. And that's a lifelong process. It's often painful, but in the end, we become, in reality, who we are in Christ, the people that he made us to be. We may not be who we ought to be, but by God's work in our lives, we are not who we were. And as we continue to walk in the way of Jesus, we will become more and more like him day by day. Thanks for listening.